You're listening to K&J Recaps. And welcome back to K&J Recaps. I am Jess. I am Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm great. This is quite the TV week we have going on here. So um, last night's TV here... watching was bananas. Plus <laughs> <It was> bananas. <laughs> uh, so we are in this podcast episode recapping episode four of HBO's Westworld, and we're really excited to do that. And just a quick plug for our newest podcast, which is going to be The Walking Dead podcast uh, recapping episode by episode and of course it premiered the same night as episode four in the same time slot (laughs) so yep um, so it's a it's a busy (laughs) Sunday night for amazing TV and of course if there are any Walking Dead fans who are listening to this Westworld podcast you likely saw the same (laughs) the same cliffhanger resolution uh, live last night so we did not live tweet Westworld because we were watching The Walking Dead Um, so Westworld was like a nice palate cleanser after the really <laughs> challenging watch that was the premiere of The Walking Dead. But yes, uh, yeah, good TV all around. So uh, check out our w- Walking Dead podcast also. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to all of those who are sticking around for episode four of our Westworld recaps. Um, maybe just a quick housekeeping note before we dive into this week's episode about timing. So Kim and I are both located on the East Coast and... We're trying as quickly as we can to get these podcasts up and keep them relevant, but technical issues and getting them into the podcast hosters and all of those things mean we're not quite meeting our goal of Monday night. So um, we're hoping kind of midday Tuesday that you'll start seeing it wherever you're subscribing, but uh, know that we're working as quickly as we can (laughs) to get these in, but it's just technical limitations, I think, at this point. That's right. Yeah. Hopefully it's still fresh in your mind, even if it's 24 to 36 hours after you've seen it. Well, you know what? I mean, like the slightly later upload might make our incredibly detailed um, sort of scene by scene recap that much better to listen to because we give you a refresher of what happened and then we also analyze what those things mean so this is a very good point so we will not forget what the scene is about in our recapping we will tell you (laughs) that's right okay so why don't we dive into episode four of westworld we're almost halfway through this season i know it's crazy um yeah definitely so this was another great episode um i had a really hard time kind of keeping my notes short on this one because there was so much, you know, that I felt was kind of like a what moment, especially with um, some of the exposition from the characters where they were like telling these stories that it wasn't readily apparent what they meant. And so I ended up sort of writing down the words that they used verbatim so that I could ask you what you thought they meant by that. But um (laughs) In any case, so uh, so let's get into it. Um, so we start at the beginning of this one uh, with Dolores in a meeting with Bernard, one of these secret meetings that we've seen a few times before. So they're in this same sort of basement room. It looks like the lab um, or somewhere within the lab, but it isn't the, you know, the area where we have seen them in the past. It looks like a basement almost in the lab. Um, And Bernard, again, is wearing this like overcoat over his regular clothes. So I still think that this is somewhere in Westworld, but just, you know, 
one floor down. Right. Um, so he's asking Dolores if she knows where she is. And she gives the scripted response that she's in a dream. But she seemed to, like, pause before she gave that response, in my opinion. Um, and then he asks if she knows what happened. And she remembers that her parents were killed and that she ran away. And she says that, you know, she hurts Um, But she doesn't want Bernard to take the grief away when he offers because that's all that she has left of them. And um, she says this like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but there's places within her that are opening up like doors to rooms, you know, that she had never, um, she never knew existed. And Bernard asks if that was um, something that they scripted for her. And she gets kind of robotic and says, Partially, she adapted some scripted dialogue that she was given about love. Um, so I'm I'm really curious off the bat about when this encounter is taking place. Because yeah, I um, know what you mean. we saw at the end of last episode that Dolores' parents were killed, that she killed Rebus, that she avoided getting shot like she would have done in a previous you know, iteration and instead rode off. And she ended the episode at the campfire with William and his douchey friend and then like collapses, right? So yeah. in this meeting with with Bernard, her parents have died. She has run off, but she's not at the campfire. And then in the next scene, she wakes up at the campfire with with William. Do you think that she like got up and went and talked to Bernard in the middle of the night on that same night? Or is that too I mean, it linear? Kind of, it kind of feels that way because you're right. I think the clues she's given as to what's happened are from that evening because um, she knows that she ran away, uh, which is not typical, right? I mean, we've seen her go through her normal response where she's um, been killed so many times. It's referred to later in this episode that she's off her script, yeah. right? Um so it does feel like it's that night and I mean maybe it does fit with how she and Bernard have been meeting that they meet in the middle of the night in some you know place that's easily accessible from the world I do think I don't know if it is distinguishable between Westworld and the lab I feel like as soon as you go deep in Westworld you are back in the lab you know what I mean like I yeah because I don't the know la- if I distinguish the lab is directly underneath it we know that because we've seen the you know, yeah, the or elevator at least many parts of it. Yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, they're somewhere there and that she's able to go and like he goes and gets her wherever she happens to be. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that would make sense to me. I wasn't sure if it was like another one of these sort of tricks of the storytelling where it's not linear, but because everything always looks the same that you kind yes, of think it might be. Um, and we're definitely getting a lot of of that for sure where you're seeing things we flashbacks and things like that so but you don't ever get a payoff here that says oh it's not no yes Um, yeah and the other thing i thought of was that her description of the pain sounds a lot like bernard's description of losing his son exactly um yeah you know that was very um reminiscent of the conversation that he was having with his wife or ex-wife we're not sure which in the last episode um so, yeah, absolutely, that probably hit home a little bit for Bernard. And so, of course, Bernard um, says that he has a game that he wants Dolores to play. 
And, um, you know, when she asks if there's something wrong with these thoughts that she's having and he says, no, but it's not up to him. So she asks for his help and he says, there's a game that I want you to try. It's a secret game called a maze. And the, um, the goal is to find the center of it. And if she can, then she may be free. So this is obviously the same maze that the man in black is looking for also. But I found it really interesting that... Bernard, who had no knowledge of Arnold before last episode and had no knowledge of this, you know, what we think is a key phrase, violent delights have violent ends. You know, he he didn't seem to recognize the various puzzle pieces um, and yet knows of the maze. Do you think that maybe there was a recent conversation between Ford and Bernard since the last episode that we didn't see? Or has he always known I think it's about more it? that... Yeah, I think it's that I at this point you can't trust either of those characters, Ford or Bernard. Yeah. In terms of what they know and don't know, because I don't think it's that it's been exposed. I don't think, I don't think he would be told about that deeper level of the game off camera to us. In that, if it had just happened linearly between the last episode and this episode, mm-hmm. I mean, like it just, I don't know, I. Don't you find that so strange, though, that he hasn't recognized a lot of the signs that we've seen that are, you know, particularly Arnold, you know, that is directly related to the maze? Sorry? Like, what's the indicator? What's the guarantee that he hasn't? Other than his interactions with Ford, but how do we not know? I mean, we know even in this that Ford is the one, like, he sees all and he knows there's relationships happening, which I think totally underscores the fact that he knows that these... Um, interactions are happening with, you know, Dolores, and he just hasn't said anything to Bernard. Like everybody seems, it's exactly like what Elsie is about to say later on, where she's like, everybody has some An sort agenda. of underlying thing that's happening, exactly, except yeah. for me. Um, I don't know. I don't trust anymore that we're seeing his honest portrayal of who he is in yeah. any of the scenes we've seen him in. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So he obviously knows about this maze. And, uh, you know, we're getting throughout this episode a little bit more of an indication of what the payoff might be. Um, I don't know what that would look like, but several times throughout this episode, um, it is mentioned that getting to the center of the maze means that the hosts become free. And the man in black at one point... um, he seems to say that that involves their ability to kill the guests. Um, so we'll get more right. to in more to that into that when it gets to right. that scene. But yeah, so we know what the maze does now for the most part. I don't know how it would do it, but um, so then after this interaction with Bernard, um, Dolores wakes up on the ground uh, the beginning of a new day. So this is the first time that we have seen Dolores wake up for a new day, not in her bed. You know, like we have seen in her loop, in her yeah. loop, yeah, over and over again. Um, and so she's still at the campfire with William. He's uh, he's sitting there next to her. Um, yeah. So then we are at the saloon. We are with Maeve, who we spend a lot of time with in this episode. So um, she's chatting with Clementine, and Maeve is obviously still affected by what we've seen happen in the past few episodes to her. So she says, um, she asks whether. Clementine's ever had something at the tip of her tongue but can't remember what. And then we kind of get a... She's experiencing kind of feedback or a high-pitched whine. The sounds around her drown out and she gets this 
kind of weird experience where she looks and sees blood in Clementine's corner of her eye and then that transitions into a memory of the floor during the shootout when Clementine's the blood was in Clementine's face and so here we're in that kind of cleanup gear those guys who come in and and clean the place up and we overhear somebody say that there's still a bullet fragment in Maeve's abdomen but that she's needed back in the park that there's pressure to get her back up and running so patch her up and get back in there um yeah so Maeve so this was a, a different this. memory, I believe, than the memory that Maeve had, or I'm sorry, than the experience that Maeve had when she actually woke up under the knife. I agree. Yeah. yeah. She is remembering yeah. a separate um, a, a, a separate time that she was in the lab uh, after probably one of many times that she has, you know, been killed in the in the park. Um, exactly. Yeah. And uh, just like as a as a quick aside that when we get this like feedback and distorted noise and stuff, that was also really reminiscent of when Dolores was in the middle of the street and all the ambient noise sort of, you know, gets really loud and then falls away. And then she sees this bloodbath on the street that she's remembering. Yeah. So um, I think that. Yes, May- I thought it was. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I, just, I thought it was very reminiscent of what we've seen Dolores go through as well, because you, the memories that come back are these incredibly violent ones. Yeah. Um, and this you get this kind of sense that they're about to happen and they're very shaken by them, especially as they're starting, you know, like even towards the end, she starts to piece them together. But they're obviously incredibly disturbing. Right. So I think that, you know, Maeve is kind of just one step behind Dolores in terms of where she is with her awakening. Agreed. Yeah. And Dolores is the one who gave her the code sentence. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, a little bit after she had heard it herself and had spent a night dealing with it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Maeve kind of comes back out of that and she's back into the saloon. and She's talking to Clementine and the same conversation that Clementine had started is repeating like the So the whole thing is happening again. And she looks down at her abdomen where she is remembering that she was shot. And so she goes back to her room. There's no scar or anything, but there is a tiny blotted drop of blood on her clothes. So that's kind of an indicator. And then she has another kind of image of this man in that hazmat suit with the kind of bubble face protector and lights on. And I thought this was really well done. So she draws it down thinks about it, opens up her floorboard to hide it and discovers that she's done that over and over and over again. And she hasn't remembered all of that same image on different scraps of paper. I thought that was, you know, a great little expose that this is not the first time she's having, even though it's the first time we're seeing it, it's obviously not the first time she's had probably the same series of, you know, remembrances. Right. So I'm kind of picturing the process of this awakening that she's having or Dolores is having, um, that it's happening over an extended period of time where they're reliving the same day over and over, but remembering a little bit more each day. And then they're able to potentially change the the story ever so slightly day after day until it all culminates to this, you know, sort of... Um, moment where they are able to piece everything together and actually, you know, see what is happening to them. Yeah, I guess 
I mean, we have somewhat of a continuity of timeline by the fact that William and his friend are there. But, I mean, she was told the the kind of sentence before they arrived, right? So it does make sense that there could have been numerous days. Because now that William's arrived, you have a sense of, like, what days are which. Well, it's been... Because a, they're not there for, like, a month. It's been at least as many days as there are drawings in the drawer, in the floorboard, right? Yeah. So there had to but, have been a dozen. Yeah, and that's because she was told before they arrived, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, yeah. I'm I'm thinking that, like, so she has relived the day a dozen times since she was given this wake-up phrase. And then, you know, this time she is able to remember enough that, you know, she's taking steps. She's, at the end, yeah. pulling this bullet out of her abdomen and whatever. So it's not just a, um, a remembering a flash and drawing a picture and then... And then nothing else. I just think that it's almost cumulative where um, day by day she's able to gather more information. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so Elsie's in a meeting with Cullen. Uh, they're talking about the stray host that smashed his head in at the end of last episode. Um, so Elsie's telling her that although his behavior was unconventional, it's not strictly outside normal parameters of host behavior because it didn't actually hurt them. And I think that we both agree probably that Elsie is spewing bullshit on that right like she doesn't even (laughs) believe that she's just you know doing what bernard is expecting of her which is to keep her concerns secret from cullen yes well and cullen figures that out pretty quickly too (laughs) yeah she definitely accuses elsie of just trying to avoid a fuck up with these um you know excuses um so bernard enters and uh, cullen tells him that her team is taking over the investigation and elsie is pissed about it but bernard caves immediately um so she confronts bernard and says you know why come at all if you're just going to cave at the first moment and he says that he did because they feel like Bernard and his team are keeping things from them, them being, you know, Colin and Stubbs and their team. And Elsie is like, well, we are. Like, clearly we are. I'm not telling them about this pattern of behavior because you don't want me to. And Bernard is super dismissive, as he has been of Elsie since the beginning, essentially telling her that the hosts don't imagine things. She imagines things. So this idea that she thinks that the host was, you know, searching for Orion and carved Orion in this stone is ludicrous. And to illustrate his point, he tells her that Orion's belt only has three stars and the carving that Elsie, you know, pulled from the woodcutter's um, hut the last episode, that that had four stars. So he's accusing her of kind of having an, ima- an imagination run wild with what the hosts are doing. Yeah. So, but like, don't you think, I mean, the fact that it may not be the exact constellation, although there's, I mean, there's definitely something else to that. You know, Bernard is, I don't know, his treatment of Elsie here is frustrating, annoying. Yeah. Yeah. She's right on the money and he's just, like and she calls it you're right this is where she calls him out and she's like it's like everybody has a fucking agenda except me and she's a hundred percent right and then he's super patronizing and saying like you know when i was young i mistook the 
um, the hosts for for people too. Um, yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's having secret meetings with Dolores and treating her like a daughter. So fuck you, it's Bernard. Right. <laughs> and it's uh, it's like a little mini speech of the one he just got from Ford, right? Where it's yeah. like, don't read too much into these things. And here he is passing it along. And you're absolutely right. Although he's con- like continuing his experiment with Dolores to try and help her escape from the world she's locked in kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Problematic. Very. Um, so we're back with William, who he and his douchey friend, just as a reminder, are out on an adventure looking for outlaws or of some kind. <laughs> um, so he's very concerned about her. He's just completely, I mean, he's always kind of been caring, especially for like the female robots in this story. But even the older guy who fell down, I mean, he obviously can't really remove himself from the fact that they're not real. So he's worried that Dolores is cold. Um, and so his friend, does that guy really not have a name yet? Like I keep saying, I don't know. Friend. I mean, yeah. I know. if he does, I don't know what it is. I yeah. don't know either. And I watched it. Um, I watched it on, you know what? It's terrible. I watched it on closed captioning and I'm sure that they had, you know, a name assigned to him and still, I feel like I'm blocking it out because I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably just check on IMDb and yet still douchey friend is fine. Black hat guy. <laughs> Black hat douche um, friend. That's right. That's how we feel about him. Uh, so he, um, the friend wants them to take her with them and at least they'll have fun. And then the friend has like an aha moment where he decides the reason that Dolores has shown up because is because the park people recognize that that's the only one that William had a connection with. And they've sent, um, they've sent her especially for him. And William kind of scoffs at that and, the friend kind of says, no, 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 this is basically what it's like, like that level of customized service. Yeah. Um, and then there's a reference to this is why the company wants a bigger stake in Westworld. Um, and William kind of says, I thought this was a you know trip for fun. And he says, like, with our family, everything is business. So um, you're getting a little bit more glimpse into the backstory. We already know that William's marrying douche friend's sister, mm-hmm. douche sister. Um, But I think now there's obviously a business implication of that and they're kind of the family, they're the owners of whatever business this is, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so he's, maybe that's why we haven't heard the name. Maybe that's incredibly, although I don't, we haven't really heard of other, but maybe there's like a board implication here or. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I feel like um, there's the, potential of course that if they're an investor in the park itself that a member of the family or at least a person from their company may be on the board but yeah but yeah i don't i mean like that's all speculation at this point i think because we we don't have anything more than this conversation to to go on on that but it sounds as if we're gonna be getting a little taste of the board in the pretty near future so we'll see apparently one of them's already oh (gasps) What? <laughs> well, at the end, Ford says the board's already here. I thought they would have told you. Yeah, you think that it's douche guy? I don't know. Is douche guy possibly a board member? And he's there. But I guess that, like, why is he just having fun? I don't know. But doesn't it? I never. When he's, when Ford says that the board's already here, how did. I'm surprised they didn't tell you. Yeah, I definitely want to, to know him? who that is. Know. Douche Man guy. Man in black? Douche board member. 
Well, Man in Black, we get some interesting black story on in this episode, too. So Man in Black is Douche Boy's father. Okay, really, things are going... <laughs> it's rampant you actually, speculation. I, my pause there is because I'm thinking about it, not because I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous, Kim. <laughs> I think that Barb is actually the Oh, my God. I, you know what? I'm still... Until you sent that... Um, that link to the creator of Stranger Things saying that Barb 100% will not be coming back. I was still secretly holding out hope. I was still thinking like, next season Jess will see. <laughs> you and the rest of the internet, I think on that one. Yeah. She's going to show up in Westworld, dressed in her 80s clothing. It's yes. going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe a family connection there. Um, so the man in black, he's at the Blood Arroyo. So if you remember when, you know, we heard from Lawrence's daughter uh, giving him the clues to where to find the, the opening to the maze, it was go to the Blood Arroyo where the snake lays its eggs. So the man in black is at the Blood Arroyo and he's chopping up all the snakes, but he can't find any that lay eggs. Um so Lawrence asks him what he's after, and he says that the whole world is a story with every page written except the last page, and he wants to know how it ends and what it all means. So, whatever that yeah. means. Um, so they see the, the woman who was with Hector and the bandits right from episode one when they had the big shootout slash saloon heist. Um, there was Hector, uh, the bandit hiding in the hills and his whole gang. And amongst them was this, you know, woman with the snake tattoo. And she's bathing who we in... noted was like a total badass at that time too. Total badass. I really yeah. like her. I like this character. Me too. Um, yeah, me too. So she's bathing in the river and the man in black sees her snake tattoo and he thinks that she is the key to the riddle. Um, and then suddenly he and Lawrence are surrounded by the rest of the gang and held up at, um, you know, like held at gun gunpoint. Um, and she comes out of the water and uh, the man in black says, it looks like you're, you know, down a couple of men and then shoots two yeah, of her gang members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he asks what they're doing and she says they're going to retrieve something of great value. So he offers to take the newly vacated spots on the gang for him and Lawrence. Um, and he also mentions that he has never met her before. And this is yes. poignant, right? Because he's met everyone. He, We have never seen the man in black not know a host by name at this point um, after 30 and he years. he even s- agreed. I mean, it's kind of... He even says earlier when he talks about the whole world being a story and he's read every page. But then I'm like... You've missed this storyline of these. I mean, he and he kind of dismisses Hector later on in the jail, but you haven't paid attention to the storyline, and now it's turning out to be a, a crucial part. And you probably needed to have all the other clues before you got there. But how do you say you've read every page if you haven't ever spent time with this kind of group? That's a fair question. Um, but I also have questions about the development of the story in real time. Um, so I know I'm I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but 
ultimately, we do know that the tattoo that this woman, I call her Snake Lady. Um, yes. <laughs> that, that she has, this is important to the riddle, right? So yep. in a later scene when she tells the man in black about the story of her tattoo, it's a story about Wyatt, who killed her mother. Yeah. And Wyatt, we know, is the new villain that has only just been created by Ford. And he's begun to upload this backstory with some of the hosts. We saw it with Teddy last episode. So I assume he's done the same with this snake lady, where he has taken what was probably an established backstory, but altered it somewhat so that Wyatt is in it. But Wyatt seems to be integral to the solving of the maze mystery. So the man in black has been hunting for this maze for 30 years, but Wyatt is only just entering the picture. So was the snake... This is why I think the two things are not unrelated. I don't think so either at all. Um, But the timing of it is crazy. Yeah. Well, but this is, I mean, why did Ford suddenly decide he wanted to be a part of the story? Exactly. He hasn't for so long, and now suddenly he is. And to such an extent that he's, like, involved in massive, I was going to say renovations, (laughs) construction. (laughs) A little interior decorating. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just bulldoze this. Mountain, no big deal. Um, No, you're absolutely right. I guess more just that we know that those outlaws have certainly existed even before the Wyatt story. Yeah. Uh, And obviously the man in black has never bothered to get to know them. And he gives a reason for why that is. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is still interesting. You've been there for 30 years and you've just never even tried out that storyline or gone to meet those people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, So... He's joined up with the gang, and now they're off to retrieve this very valuable thing, which is Hector, right? That's the thing? Yes. Okay, yes. just checking. <laughs> thing that has to come out of the... And I also found I liked the Man in Black more in this episode. Like, I... First of all, he wasn't nearly so awful. Yeah. Um, and he had this, and, like, like, dark torturous. sense of humor. Agreed. Yeah. And and because you found out find out that he... Anyway, so... It was more enjoyable. It was good to see him because we didn't see him at all, I don't think, in the previous episode, right? Who, the man um, in black? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. That's when he get, That's when he got Lawrence and went to Lawrence's hometown. And wasn't that all last episode? I think that's two episodes ago. There was no man in black in episode three. Oh. So. Fair enough. We've, uh, yeah. We we went a whole episode without him. Ed Harris probably had to shoot something that day, like a different movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Bye, <laughs> I'll be back." Man in Black continues. Um, um, yes. So after that, we're back in the lab, and Stubbs is with his that group that's overseeing the Hunger Games style map. And that's where they're told, we mentioned this, that Dolores, they recognize Dolores has deviated from her loop. So we had thought that it would be a big deal that she shot a guy, like the other host. Yeah. Um, but it does not seem to have been a good big deal. But they also mentioned in this scene that, um, so Stubbs asks if she's accompanying a guest. They can't tell. And then the woman that he's speaking to says it's hard to keep uh control of things or a sense of what's going on because the disruption of all of Ford's 
storylines. Mm-hmm. So I guess there is that, you know, reason. She didn't, she, it's not like she killed a guest. She killed a host and they right. certainly Even do still kill each though, other. I mean, even with Ford's storyline throwing all of the other narratives out of whack, I do get the sense that maybe our original idea of the level of monitoring that's taking place might not be quite so tight because there's obviously right. a lot of really high tech, you know, um, ways in which they're keeping track of what's going on in the park. But, I mean, they have hosts that go astray and they have hosts that are outside their loop and they have, yes. you know, uh, Maeve who has, um, well, she's likely been showing some uh, signs of uh, everything not being quite right, like just by... Uh, drawing the pictures 12 times in a row. I mean, they didn't notice that that was out of the ordinary to our our knowledge. Agreed. I was thinking of that too, too, that nobody's keeping a close enough eye on her that they notice she's putting, you know, notes in her floorboards. Um, You know, you think back to when she was flagged, it was when guests are really kind of commenting on it. So if no guests are incredibly noticing that the things are off, it's like it almost doesn't get as flagged. And if they happen to notice it, then great. Yeah. And even here, they don't consider it a big deal. So he just mentions flag it with behavior and they'll pull her out and make sure that everything's okay. You're right. I think that that deal. I think that that is probably the um the difference, right? Is that their monitoring's probably primarily of the guests. And if the hosts yes. are not with a guest present, then they're probably not being monitored um to much extent at all. Because And we're about to see that here because even William is able to override the fact that they want to take her out to look at her, right? Yeah. Um, because he says she's with me. So the guests really do have all of the ability to say... Supreme power. That's right. To say, no, she's going to come with me. And even though her behavior is should have been checked out to, by the park, uh, because he wants to spend time with her, that kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dolores, William, and company—they're at Lawrence's hometown, um, which I thought that this hometown was sort of off the map, right? Because the man in black—he had been um, completely unaware of it. See, this is another thing. (laughs) He's like, I know this place inside out. What the hell is this town? (laughs) That's right. And then William is like, William's on day two, and he's like, look at this town. That's—I'm gonna catch a fugitive, you know. The man in black is an imposter that actually has not seen it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Lawrence's daughter is there. She looks she looks sad. Um, her mother, of course, have just been shot. But this this little host is not playing the game. Right. She's just. No. no. Um, so Dolores is, you know, making small talk with her and asks where she's from and the little girl says same as you don't you remember yeah and then dolores starts to she hears arnold's voice saying remember and she has a flash to a white church uh which has to be the same white church that ford was talking about before doesn't it when Ford is like with his little mini Ford host and they're overlooking this like deserted area that's empty and he asks Minnie Ford you know do you hear do you hear the the bell the bell of the white church yeah I think it has to be related right yeah I'm sure you're right yeah um oh yeah and then she looks down and the little girl has 
drawn the maze into the dirt. Yes. Very detailed. Yes. Definitely the maze. And Dolores knows now about the maze because she had her meeting with Bernard. Yeah. Do you think she recognized it? I mean, it it almost seemed like Bernard was introducing to her the concept of what a maze was Mm -hmm. in that first piece. So I don't know. Would you be able to associate the two? But obviously seeing it prompts a series of kind of flashbacks or at least something is happening in the scene. So it it doesn't seem to not do anything. Mm -hmm. I can be vague, but I don't know. Did you get a sense that she's like, oh, maze? No, not really. Yeah. I wonder if like I wonder if a host has perfect recall so that she can just right. remember this maze after only seeing it once in the dirt. Cuz if you don't know what it is, I mean it could just look like a symbol or something too, you know. Right. But she did, I mean, she seemed to take note of this design. Yes, agreed. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and then we have the host uh, man who approaches Dolores and says he has to take her back to the ranch. Uh, her father must be worried about her. And Dolores is like, my father is dead. And she looks like she's ready to clock him. Like she's pissed. Yeah. Um, but in in that same sort of moment, there's this like whispering that's happening. Yes. As Dolores is having flashes of memory. And it's the white church and the little girl in Sunday clothes, um, Lawrence's daughter, I mean. And then it's Dolores holding a gun and then Dolores at a grave. I have a theory on the whispering, which is that what if the whispering is her own consciousness taking over Arnold's voice? You know, because didn't Ford say that the intention was that their programming would be spoken to them uh, like a voice from God or whatever, but then the intention, the hope was that their own consciousness would eventually take over. Their own thoughts would take over the voice of the programming. So you think the whispering is the... Was like the starting of that? Yeah. Dolores's thoughts. It just is like, they're not... <laughs> is that too out there? <laughs> No, not at all. It's just funny that they're like, if that is the case, they're not coherent. I mean, I guess what you're saying is that they're just getting started, but they're not coherent. They're not uh, like understandable. They don't, I don't know, maybe. Although the other thing I was thinking is that just like, is it an effect to show the jumbling of the memories and you're not getting audio with it other than these kind of muffled noises because they're too short little clips that you you can't really catch on to in terms of your memory, but you know that they're there. So like um, essentially just the show using it as like a storytelling device to set tone? Kind of, or that that's what she's hearing, but she can't she can't put audio memories to the images that she's being able to see. Oh, I see. Like she's only remembering The memories aren't strong and, enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you're right. I mean, the voices thing is definitely, you're right, is very significant. Um, the the audio like audible commands that they have the you're right the fact that it was the god thing so maybe it is that significant that it was that yeah i wasn't sure uh of course you know but you know some, something you, that occurred to me that's right and you also notice the girl disappears incredibly suddenly from like the well where she's sitting yeah oh i didn't like, really notice 
So I went back and you don't get any kind of indicator of where she is, but she like the girl says, do you don't you remember, you know, where we come from or whatever? She looks down at the maze on the ground and the camera goes down and then she's interrupted by that sheriff guy, the host that's going to take her in. And at that instant, that girl is nowhere to be seen in that scene. Interesting. So was she there the whole time and just ran away super quickly and you don't see it? Like, I, I could not. I don't know. I found that really strange. Yeah. No, yeah, I get what you're saying. Maybe, like, I wonder if she, um, maybe she was running from the host that was coming to get Dolores. Yeah. You know, maybe she flies under the radar. Because it wouldn't be that she's in, she's not in Dolores' head because we know she's there and yeah. that's her town. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, yep, yeah, so the man tries to take Dolores away and then William arrives and asks what's going on. Um, she's not lost. She's with me. And then the host abruptly changes his attitude and just walks away. Uh, yes, because William is in charge of everything. That's right. Um, so William is going to continue that storyline that they're on. So he says they have a lead on their fugitive. He wants her to stay in town, but obviously she's not comfortable because she recognizes that that guy was trying to take her in mm-hmm. or wasn't a good scene which is also pretty telling right because yes that she can see that right because Dolores we already talked about especially in episode one where she has this like confused but unconcerned reaction to anything that's sort of out of the ordinary or you know and we're seeing several times throughout this episode where she's confronted with things that don't make sense to her and she reacts very differently than this you know confused but you know, not really giving a shit about what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And that she knows that she needs to stick close to William and that he can keep her kind of safe and on track to do what she's trying to do. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we just get a really quick expose season. We're back with the men in black and the snake lady and the rest of the bandits. She's still on her mission and she's trying to get information out of, to people she's met and she shoots everybody which is the signal i guess that the info was good <laughs> and the men in black is like great so it's really just a continuation on the fact that they're going to end up you know camping for the night and trying to continue on with their mission but yeah um so from there we have william um and his group stopped for the night camping we have just these like very romantic heartwarming scenes i guess between william and dolores as they like he is enchanted by her yes absolutely um and he knows he's paying a lot of money to be in a place full of robots and yet it doesn't matter he's like fully engrossed by the concept like you know what i mean like in some ways he's like not even buying into the concept. In other ways, he's just absolutely 100% engrossed in it. But I think that it's Dolores that's making him feel that way because Dolores isn't like the other robots. And I think that, you know, even if it's not conscious, he is responding to that. But even he's the one who wanted to go on this, like, adventure. You know, he's the one who shot up the bad guys and saved Clementine and was the big hero. Um and then decided that they would go out on this, like, quest and try that out. 
But then at the same point, he doesn't want to... I mean, I guess he's just not super violent and cruel. And that, you know, killing hosts for no purpose doesn't, you know, yeah. give him happiness. So I mean, that's he's fair. doing the, like, PG, PG level of Westworld. He's doing the level of Westworld that Ford said they tried to create and nobody wanted to do it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Where he's like, we tried to do good and nobody took us up on it. So then we, then we just have these deplorable storylines. Um, yeah. Uh, so Dolores is apologizing for causing trouble with his friend. Um, and William says it's okay. He asks where she was headed when she stumbled across them. And she says she doesn't know. So here they kind of have a... Yeah conversation about what's going on in Dolores's head so she William says he's surprised because he just says out loud he assumes that they are restricted to certain zones or areas or paths and Dolores gives a modified version of the scripted dialogue we've heard before um she says that she used to think there was a path for everyone but it never occurred to her to ask where the path was taking her and she yeah so she's a story she's Sorry. really you know she's really second guessing her scripted backstory and scripted um, loop. And, you know, so this is a conversation that she had with Teddy where, you know, she was adamant that everyone has their path and the path of the two of them is that they are together. And um, yeah, I mean, so we hear this a few times throughout the episode where she has taken scripted dialogue and either, you know, um, repurposed it for a different conversation or different context, um, or she's questioning it directly. Um, so it's like she hasn't evolved to a point where she's fully able to just come up with her own words, but she has evolved enough that she is able to take words that were given to her and use them in new and innovative ways. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So what do you think about, so the next story she has about is about the lost steers um, and that her father would say that they would find, it would find its own way home, which is kind of like a heartwarming story of, of, you know, being lost and found. But then she says it never occurs to her that it was coming to the, like, home to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's, like, has she added that part on the end? Um and she's normally telling the story as like a heartwarming, you'll always find your way home. And that's where it ended. And she's realized over time that there's this like yeah. sinister piece to it. Yeah, I think that you're probably right on that. Like, I think that uh, she, you know, she she has told, um, you know, the people from the lab when they ask the question, like some people you know, choose to see the bad in the world, but I choose to see the hope and whatever. Like, I think that this is her kind of waking up to the bad. Uh, So I think you're probably right that before she would have looked at this as a heartwarming story and left it at that. But now she's like, we were going to kill that steer. So not a happy ending after all. I mean, she's obviously programmed with, like, 1,000% optimist. Yeah. They talk about the different traits that they have, and you're right. That is starting to slip away. Yeah. Um, So William asks how she's going to find her way now. She says she doesn't think that he'll understand and that sometimes she feels like something is calling her, uh, telling her that there's a place for her beyond all this. So then William responds that he really knows the feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, you know, we really don't know much about William's backstory, but 
there's something there that really connects him to what she's saying. Yes. With that, you know, analogy. Um, and then he asks her whether she really doesn't want to go back to her old, her old life. And there's kind of like a another one of these transitions from kind of current to past. So it involves the moonlight and everything's dark kind of darkens around her and then it, the moon turns into the spotlight and we're back to workers in those hazmat suits, uh, the cleanup crew, and they're cleaning up um, her shootout scene at the ranch. So very similar to what we've seen Maeve go through earlier. It's just now we're seeing Dolores go through it. So mm-hmm. um, obviously. Sorry, have we seen Dolores had any images of the hazmat suit the guys or the cleaning crew or anything yet? This is the first time, right? I agree. It's, yeah. I mean, now we're we're going to learn by the end of this episode that there's a whole folk, folklore built in behind it. Yes. Um, you know, are probably to cover their track. Same as the dreams kind of thing is what that struck me as. But I agree. I don't think you've seen her uh, flashback like that before. Mm-hmm. To the cleanup. To, only to the violence that precedes it. Right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the man in black is at his own campfire with the um, the bandits, and uh, there's a couple of other guests that have um, joined the the gang for for their vacation. Um, so those those guys are like working up the nerve to talk to the man in black, uh, and finally one of them comes and says he's a huge admirer and that the man in black's foundation saved his sister's life, and he shuts them down hard. Yeah. He's like, I will cut your throat if you say another word. I'm on my fucking vacation. Don't talk to me. And then they were like, mm, God. Like, they just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> scampered away. Um, so some interesting information about the man in black. He seems to be, uh, I don't know, the head of some affluent business slash foundation who is you know, famous enough that someone could recognize him on site without having a name to associate him with. Agreed. A huge philanthropist, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or some kind of like medical thing. Or again, we don't really know what the world looks like outside of Westworld at this point. So who knows what it's set up. But you're right. I mean, it was I love this little piece of expose that you still have nothing else that you know about. But what does that mean about a guy who could own a or run a foundation. A, he obviously has a lot of money, but I think that was probably pretty clear. Anyway. I do wonder too. I mean, we do, we do find out also that the man in black knows about Arnold. He knows about the creation of the park, et cetera. And we had said in past podcasts that we thought that, that there was likely a connection between the man in black and Ford. Um, So, you know, they're of a similar age. The Man in Black has been coming to the park since almost the beginning. Um, so I wonder if potentially if the Man in Black runs a foundation that was able to save a girl's life and Ford and Arnold are in the business of essentially creating life or like yeah. cr- creating organs that function. And I don't know. I thought that perhaps they're, they had a shared... Um, education or some kind of shared history uh, that this might be speaking to. I, I think that's really prescient, Kim. And I, I honestly hadn't thought about it until you're just saying that. And um, my like probably ridiculous theory now is that uh, 
I still think that the ultimate maze is to lead to self-consciousness for these machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and what if he, yeah, runs some sort of like cutting edge stem cell foundation or stem cell research or, you know what I mean? Like genetic medical advancements. And now he's trying to find out the solution to creating sentience in robots. Yeah. And the combination of those two things is human life. I mean, right? Like, it's, yeah. So, so I mean, could it be that the center of the maze is essentially the answer to what is at the top of the pyramid? That you know, when we heard about Arnold's pyramid, we heard that it's you know, um, self awareness, self interest, memory, all going up the pyramid, but we didn't know what was at the top. I think it's got to be something like that. Yeah. Um, and that that's related to the fact that you'll be able to, like, you'll be immortal in the game at that level, um, which is what he's referencing. But it's that it's because they are going to have achieved the final, like, decision-making thing. So there's not going to be any programming that prevents them from being able to kill you at that point. Because once you find out that secret and enable it, or you find a host with that has it, or whatever <gasps> that is the case, right? You're... What if? I don't know. What if? Wait. What was I just going to say? The pyramid. Oh, no. The pyramid is like memory, self awareness, self interest, and then I was going to say that the last one is self preservation. You know, right? Maybe it's like the ability to kill the guests in order to protect protect themselves, or is that self interest? <laughs> Well, maybe, but you're right. I mean, absolutely, there's the sense that that if they were truly making their own decisions, then you wouldn't, of course, you would not be able to have programming that would, you know, let them just go through what they go through, which is horrendous. Um, And that that means that they could kill you. Even if they're not using real guns, obviously, they could find other ways to kill you. And so suddenly the whole thing is real and not a game world that you've been, like, living in. Right. Yeah, so um, Man in Black, he is, he tells off the other guests um, for talking to him. <laughs> and then he uh, goes back to the fire where Lawrence tells him that whatever they're looking for is in the prison. Uh, it's Hector. Um, so the Man in Black approaches the snake. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Hector is in the prison. Um, the Man in Black approaches the snake lady with uh, his own plan for how to get Hector out of the prison, which is that he does it himself with Lawrence, one gun, and a match. Um, And he makes her a deal where he says he will do it for the price of the story of her tattoo. Um, Just on a side note, in case you were wondering, um, because of the whole thing with Wyatt and the timing of the new storyline and whether or not this was always um, their... Um, her backstory and whatever I did I went back to episode one and double checked to see if she still had the snake tattoo in episode one smart uh she she did yeah so that makes me think that she always had this backstory about you know masked men coming to her village and slaughtering her family and her taking them out one by one and coloring in you know the the snake with every one she kills um and I think that Maybe now it's Wyatt and before it was just maybe an unnamed masked man or something. Um, Yeah, it's just that Wyatt's group also uses masks and stuff, which is very 
Yeah, but I yeah, essentially I think that, you know, there were some details changed changed, maybe the masks too or whatever, but like in her backstory there were some changes that um resulted in it now being Wyatt and his men that she's hunting, but she always had the snake tattoo even before Wyatt. So she had to have been hunting somebody before that, or the snake tattoo hasn't had a different purpose altogether before Ford's new storyline. Um, I just wonder how much of like it is a new storyline. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know the point I'm trying to make here, but it's just like I've... Yeah, I just have a hard time aligning. Like she's got such a perfect storyline set up to impl- like put that one on top of. Yeah, and, I mean of that's what made me before, question it. It's, yeah, it's just like it's it's almost as if either the Y storyline has been simmering and just not uploaded in them for quite some time, or it's you know taken. There's a lot of real life inspiration, and that's what played into a lot of these hosts' backstories even before the Wyatt story. I don't know, mm-hmm. but there, there's got to be something to that for sure. Right. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, so she asks the man in black what his interest is in her tattoo, and he says that she a- he asks her, "Have you ever heard of Arnold? He was the original settler of these parts." He created a world where you could do whatever you want except one thing, you can't die, which means that it's always going to be just a game no matter how real it seems. And that Arnold broke his own his own rule, he died in the park, but he the man in black thinks he had one story left to tell and that one had real stakes and real violence. That's like verbatim because I was like, "Oh, I feel like there's so much to unpack with these words." <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he shows her Kissy's scalp that has the maze on it. So obviously, the man in black knows who Arnold is. We've already touched on this a little bit about how we think that maybe there's a shared history there. But, like, he has in-depth knowledge of, you know, this level of the game that yep. um, does not seem to be common knowledge, despite the fact that we did learn that Bernard knows about the, the maze in this episode. But... I mean, how could he possibly know so much? And and then the big reveal here in this too is that once you get to the middle of the maze, that the guests can die. That's what he's saying, right? Yes. Yeah, and I do think that that's because you're coming across the secret of self-awareness or, or sentience or consciousness or whatever. Right. And as soon as you have that and the... As soon as the hosts can think for themselves, of course, it's a more even playing field. In fact, it's probably skewed in the host direction, really. So right? because how do you think that this that this story that he's telling or this information that he's giving um, relates to what he said in a previous episode, which is that he's never leaving the park. He, yeah. He intends to essentially win the game and stay forever. By like, by awakening all of the hosts, he's a, he is like creating a new world, like a sentient world that he could now live in. That or is it apply to like the whole world, and it's just that the whole world will become. I don't know. It's I mean we know that Arnold preferred the hosts company to the company of people. The men in black seems to be similar. He has no interest in the guests or at least the type of guests who frequent 
Westworld, mm-hmm. who are very douchey people, so I'm not blaming him for that. But like, um, and he is extremely taken with a lot of the host characters. Um, is he looking combined with whatever his foundation does or the technology he's developed or something that his future of the world is one that is host driven and not guest, like not humans. I don't know. I just feel like it's something along those lines and that it's not necessarily that he wants to stay in like the death Valley area of Westworld anymore. It's that he wants that world of like hosts being the predominant species or something. I don't Mm. know. But it's like if the world has gone to shit and it's gotten just incredibly, incredibly wealthy, douchey people and like just extreme amounts of poverty, for example, like if something has happened, then, you know, the real world's pretty crappy. So maybe sentient hosts that think rationally and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. I really I really took it as if like he is staying in the Wild West forever. Like he's not leaving that park. Um, (laughs) And I guess I kind of took it as, you know, sort of a a similar approach, but um, a different meaning, which was that like maybe he is he is um, just ready to give up all of the all of the the things that people think matter and they don't really matter like in this really futuristic technology heavy world where people are actually assholes and all you care about is money and whatever and instead he wants to kind of get back to the basics and to the the roots of it all where things are simpler and um people are in in uh i don't know in a position where they can live a simple good life and not care as much about all of the bullshit you know yeah i just yeah yeah right now it's not a good life there but that's what i feel like he's trying to do i just don't know if i see that like character aspect in him i just feel like he's much more sinister than that yeah that's fair but then like what's the sinister part of him that's like oh like Make okay, so the sinister part of him is that he's making the hosts the predominant species on earth, yeah. Like, I mean, is he gonna get rid of mankind? I don't know, or is he trying to? I mean, it would be really helpful to know the context outside of the park for sure, but is it uh, like military function? Is the secret not even sentience, but it's the ability to truly have godlike power over people rather than just like robot hosts who have limitations as we know see i mean Um, i i thought that i thought that the the solving of the maze resulting in godlike power like i thought that that was his plan like two episodes ago but after this episode i don't think it is anymore I, you know, after him saying that he's going to set them free and whatever, I just don't, I don't see that anymore. And I, I mean. He wouldn't be controlling them. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wouldn't be in control. He's essentially telling them that they have control over their own choices and they um, could kill him if they wanted to. Right. He says, when Lawrence says, I'm going to kill you later in this episode, he says, maybe one day, um, you know, I think that I think that this is a more 
um, uh, altruistic. I don't mission. Yeah. Then originally, so I thought. did. Yeah. So I will take the complete opposite side of that. Okay. Because so <laughs> I re- I do think that with the ability for the real violence and the setting free is where you're like, you do that because the risk is worth the reward and it's the ultimate reward for him. So whatever is at the end of that maze, you have to risk real stakes and real violence to get there, which means that it's of, of incredibly high value and that there is a sinister like meaning for him to go. Okay. Looking for it. So you don't think that he's like being sincere when he says that he is, um, honoring Arnold's legacy Arnold who preferred the hosts over people no I think he might be but I think there's an end to it like um yeah I guess but I don't think it comes from altruism at all I think it comes from either he hates his fellow man and he wants to get rid of them and replace them all with hosts or um there's like a reason for why you would want to unleash that kind of like sentient abilities um and the same kind of ones that maybe drove arnold crazy or you know diverged his theories with ford yeah okay oh we'll see we will see more chelsea yeah um so anyway the snake lady agrees to the deal uh she'll tell him the the story of her tattoo if he goes to the jail and gets the valuable thing it's hector At which is Hector. Uh, so we continuing on with the incredible amounts of Men in Black in this episode. Um, the next scene is Lawrence and the Men in Black, and they're in the carriage with like a. It's like an ar- armed carriage. It was really cool, actually. <laughs> it was like wow. Uh, I wonder if they actually had those back in the Wild West. I don't know. Um, but he's in handcuffs, and you don't really know why originally. Um, but he offers the cigars to the sheriff guy, who declines. Um, and he's got a whole... I mean, you really get to see kind of how the man in black has negotiated this world for 30 years, you know? Um, so he offers the sheriff the cigars and pockets one of them. Um, the Lawrence is completely mad at the man in black. He's like, why didn't you just let me hang? And um, the man in black lectures Lawrence about blaming him rather than considering his own choices. Um, and he's saving Lawrence from truths that he's unable to comprehend and that he's never had a choice and he's always been a prisoner. And I'm here to set you free. Please see previous discussion for <laughs> details on that one. Uh, and they arrive at the prison. Of course, Lawrence is an incredibly wanted man because he was being executed the last time that the man in black intervened. Um, but here we get a great kind of like old school jailbreak scene, really. Totally. Um, yeah, Can I just say on so... a quick note, too, when the two of them arrive, like Lawrence and the man in black and the deputy... Um, you know, says to the sheriff, you know, like, oh, these uh, horse stealers, a couple of yeah, idiots or whatever. Horse, yeah. And the sheriff is like, you're the idiot. You've been in the presence of the most wanted man in all of wherever. And I was like, oh, my God, the man in black is wanted? Because <laughs> because I'm like, oh, Lawrence is the is the big bad in this scenario. Like he's. I completely agree. Right. Yeah. It's where you see like the host, it, the storylines don't fully flesh out because 
that's crazy. And Lawrence is just some stooge who's completely set up for it. Right. And yet, you're right. He's the guy who needs to be taken out back and shot right away. <laughs> that's right. The man in black, the lesser threat, can go into the yeah. cell with Hector. Yeah, and I love, I one of the things I really loved in this episode are the men in black's just disparaging remarks about the storylines. Yeah. Um, you know, because he says the reason he's going to go and do this thing for the snake ladies, he doesn't have time for them to go through their storyline over like the next three days, right? right? Like He's like, fuck that. I'm just going to go ahead, break out of the prison with a match and an idiot, and I'll see you back here in 24 hours kind of thing. Well, that says, it says um, a little something too about the extent to which the, um, the hosts are able to alter their loops for the whim of the guest. Because, Completely. you know, yeah, the snake right. lady agrees to this wager because the man in black poses it to her, um, which throws the entire loop kind of off. But yeah, you know, by days. Yeah, by days. Agreed. But she yeah. but she goes for it. Yeah. Um. So Hector says he's never met the man in black. And actually, the man in black agrees. And he says he felt like he was too market tested, which we understand Um from our outside view, but the Hector just glosses over the same way we've seen others gloss over those kinds of references before. Mm-hmm. And um, they engage in some conversations. So the men in black asks him about his worldview. He, even his questions he asks, I find are just like, they get right to like the robot characteristics of, right. you know, how these, these hosts are set up. Like he can kind of tell you have like, 50% villain and 25% altruism and, you know, like all the different characteristics. Right. Yeah. Um, so Hector says he believes that only a truly brave man can admit that everything in the world will end badly and no one will be saved. And the man in black says it seems like they have a lot in common. So maybe that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get the exploding cigars effect to get them out of the prison and, I thought that was so he's had these exploding devices on him, but then we get this cut back to the lab as if they maybe wouldn't work unless Stubbs approves it or security approves it, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he breaks out of the cell with his exploding cigars, he explodes the sheriff deputy guy. Um, and then he, they save Lawrence. There's like firing all around Lawrence and poor Lawrence is blindfolded and can't tell what the hell is going on (laughs) until he takes off his blindfold and everybody's dead around him. And they are escaped from the prison. Huzzah! One match. Yeah, exactly. A valuable Uh, thing retrieved. That's right. Hector, the valuable thing is brought back to the game. Although, I mean, on a quick side note, I I do, like, I'll circle back to it when we get to that scene. But, like, they're also after something in the safe, right? The the man in black is like, the thing you're looking for isn't in the safe. Yeah, and that's the storyline we normally see, right? Right. So I wasn't sure, like, when when they were saying we're after something that's very valuable. That's why at the beginning I was like, it's Hector, right? Right. Because I didn't know if they were referencing something that was in the safe. And then also when the man in black says... The thing you're looking for, you're never going to find in that safe. I wasn't sure if he meant there's a thing you're looking for, but it's not in the safe. Or if he meant you're never going to come to the conclusion of this storyline because you're always going to be killed before you see what's in that safe. Right. Anyway, Yeah, that's a good point. I I think it's definitely... It could be really read either way because, I mean, it seems like this showdown happens every couple days in the... Um, town, mm-hmm. right? Because they 
reference it and it kind of ends the same way <laughs> every time. Right. <laughs> bloodily and with the death of these bandits. Um, um, yeah. Um, so, so the the man in black and Hector, they're re- reunited with the rest of the gang. This is when he tells Hector about the, you know, the thing is not in the safe. Um, and then he asks for the snake lady to pay her debt and tell him the, um, the story of her tattoo. So we've already touched on this a little bit. So th- when she was seven, masked men came into her town. They killed her family. They killed women and children. And uh, she now paints herself with the blood of everyone that she tracks down. So the snake tattoo is colored in on every scale except for the head of the snake, which is Wyatt, um, which, of course, she has yet to kill. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It's a cool story, though. Like, I like Very, the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, there's a quick scene where back in the main town, and there's a group of like Native Americans walking through town, and one of them drops a toy, and it looks like the dude in the hazmat suit, um, which I thought was just a really cool way to expose it. And so she tries to run after the girl to ask what it means and there's um a guy standing there and he tells her not to waste her breath that it's part of their religion and they will not talk about it mm-hmm. at all so we get a bit of more expose on that in a bit but yeah yeah what did you yeah yeah i mean i didn't really think too much of it in this scene um except like more i wonder what that means but of course yeah. when we have the scene with hector at the end where he seems to have a lot of knowledge of um the hazmat suit spaceman guys like it looks like a little spaceman the toy um yeah that they that they are uh you know like a heavy um religious lore that the Native Americans uh, have and that some people think they can, you know, some people can see them. I don't know. We can talk more about that when we get to it, but I definitely wrote down some of the things that Hector was saying, like, who's the dream walker? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, But yeah, in this scene, I was, I was, I didn't have too many unanswered questions yet. Sure. Well, lots of so, unanswered questions, but not in particular. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah. So all that happens at the end of that is that Maeve goes back to the saloon and there's Clementine is there and they're interacting with two guys who they n- realize is part of Hector's group. And they know that Hector will know more about this because he knows more about the culture and religions. Um, so that just sets up the fact that we're going to see that in a little bit. Yeah. Um. So... We're back in the lab. Well, we're in Bernard's bedroom where he's in bed and Cullen is getting dressed and he asks if all he's good for is letting off some stress. I actually like I was a little annoyed by this interaction between Ford and Cullen, to be honest. Um, Bernard and Cullen? Yes. Sorry. Bernard and Cullen, where she is telling him about her uh, meeting with Ford, where she has to meet with him to tell to tell him to kind of back off of all of the the 
disruption that his storyline is causing to the existing narratives and stuff. And she says she needs to buy time because the board is going to be descending any moment. And so Bernard tells her it's best not to show Ford that she's nervous or defensive and then kind of shows her how to stand appropriately that doesn't convey defense. And I was like, I don't really, I don't get really get the point of his whole thing about the, you know, the belly is the instinctive area to protect because it's the weakest or most vulnerable part of the animal or whatever. I think the only thing so and because I'm talking about this with the wisdom of the next scene is that I don't think I realized fully how shrewd Ford really was until he just destroys Cullen in this lunch meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to me you know he's Bernard's giving her tips as to how not to seem vulnerable, basically. And I was like, you know, first of all, this is like some CEO business lady who's probably been highly successful, whatever. Like, you need to give her tips. And then I think he just realizes what Ford is like. I mean, she's hesitant to meet him, so I think she knows too. But I don't think I realized how eviscerating he was going to be with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he really does completely manipulate her in that entire scene and it doesn't really matter how you stand like there's no protecting it you know but she does have a number of tells that she gives to show she's nervous throughout that meeting yeah she lights her cigarette exactly and she's kind of trembly and she's obviously freaked out and yeah i don't know i i thought it was just maybe setting up what that meeting was going to be like and then delivering with the next scene yeah fair enough um um I, th- I also thought, I think it's the first time we've seen her smile. I was just like, what? Like, she's just like, she, there's like a part in that scene where there's actually like a legitimately warm smile. And I was like, oh, huh. hmm, look at they, they are kind of human. Teresa. Yeah, because they're both kind of very smile. unhuman people, the two of them. Yes. It's kind of fitting that they're together, really. But yeah. True. Um. So then this is the kind of big, this is a bit of a behemoth of a scene, so we can break this into more bite-sized pieces but this is where we see so Colin shows up to look at Ford's work site and this is what I said earlier was renovations um (laughs) is this massive (laughs) excavation thing giant machines doing all kinds of stuff and lots of hosts doing stuff too right like there's host workers yes um in what looks very like plantation-y and creepy right um so Colin kind of is trying to go about it politically correctly. And she says that the board would certainly give the him more time if he needs it. And he just cuts right to, you know, I'm sure they would just be happy if I delayed it inevitably uh, or indefinitely rather. Um, so he recognizes that the board is not happy with the fact that he's bringing on this new storyline. And then he asks the, her to come meet him over lunch. So... They're in this, like, Mexican-style restaurant that's in the park. Um, and it's just the two of them. Because obviously, like, this area of the park is now no longer accessible, mm-hmm. right? Like, you wouldn't be able to go there since it's under construction. Um, so Ford asks Colin whether she thinks he's lost his mind. And she mentions they're concerned about the extent of the changes, which, of course, we've seen now for the past couple of episodes really and she says that they want to protect his legacy and i think this is where he like 
he bristles at that, yeah. right? Yeah, and he does. And later on he says this isn't some sort of like vanity pet project, basically. This is something completely different. So, yeah, it seems like that's not the right way to go about it. Yeah, to... I completely agree. And especially because like he really expresses his disdain for her and for people like her who are the quote-unquote yes. money men. And um, I think that he um, he – um, he doesn't buy for a minute that they are concerned with preserving his legacy. And he's calling Agreed. bullshit. Um, and he, like, he cuts her down to size in this interaction for sure. Um, yes. But, uh, and does well, it in this way that's like, there was real, um, like a real sense of sinister when especially Agreed. when all of and the hosts threat. go frozen, I really felt like Completely. he was threatening her. Yes. And I would not um, have expected that from Ford of the yeah. first couple of episodes. I agree. He's not like just this like, well, the first thing time you meet him, he's kind of this sad seeming old man down talking to one of his old hosts in the basement, you know, and he kind of seems like the guy who's starting to lose it, but they have to keep him around because he's the guy who created the place, you know? Yeah. This is a very different image of this guy. Um, so he says that he can tell that she doesn't like the place. Uh, and so she says she admires the audacity of it, which is definitely. I mean, she kind of calls out his God complex here. And of course, he just kind of reinforces it. And that's where she references that she was at that restaurant when she was a kid. And maybe it was. Um, even right at the table, which of course it was, and that she realized she wouldn't enjoy the place. And then we get that story that Ford says, which is that they did try to make hopeful storylines yeah, and no one took them up on it. And it was Ford's, you know, argument with Arnold that people would want to do the hopeful storylines and he was wrong and lost the bet. Do you think that that is the case? Like, was he definitely the guy who's like, I yeah. don't know because I you're felt only getting like... one side of this. Sorry. You know? What'd you say? You're only getting one side of this. Like you only everything that Ford tells us about Arnold. Is yes, yeah. Ford's yeah, and that, I feel I feel like it does not make sense with what he told us about Arnold in the last episode, where he was saying that um, Arnold was the one who thought that this place could be something that it couldn't end up being. When he said that, you know, at the at the end of the conversation that he had with Bernard where he was like um, the last thing that we want to give these hosts in the world that they're in is memory you know he said that um, Arnold was overly optimistic about what this world would be he didn't fully don't you remember that yeah um, so I did find it surprising that Ford was the one who was really you know Taking, Pushing, taking bets yeah. on the hopeful storyline. And Arnold was the one who had a dimmer view of humanity. Although I don't find it surprising that Arnold didn't like people because we did know that he preferred to spend time with the hosts. But Agreed. Um, and maybe that's related in the sense like the people who are going to want to come to this kind of thing are not going to be the people with hope and altruism. They're the people who are going to be like, sweet, I get to go kill and rape people and, it, you know, without consequence. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, those people do suck. Like, I don't think there's... I Ford must be just as... Everybody... I don't know. Like, it must be completely destroying to see these people who enjoy your park, most of whom are just shitty people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've created all of the... Like, this amazing 
And I think that that's probably touched on a little bit when Ford says that he has seen a lot of people in Cullen's position over the years come and go. And so, you know, there could have been a number of people in that position who were just like, I don't want to watch this every day. I don't, you know. Um, And then there also seemed to have been at least a couple who uh, might have gotten in Ford's way. I mean, he implied that most were able to work with him, but some could not. Uh, So Yeah, that's like one of the threats. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so at some point when he's describing that piece of Arnold, I mean, I never picked up what the action that causes it is but all of the hosts freeze there is uh, no not, action that's I, right? I really think he has said nothing he has done nothing and everyone is just frozen all of the hosts not only in his immediate vicinity but all the ones the working field. in the field below yeah. them i i almost so think how did he get them to do it like with a thought i don't know yeah I was assuming it was disguised in something he said, but nothing he says is really, you know, directional of any in any way. You're right. And then how, of course, even if it was something he said, how would the ones out in the field? Right. They wouldn't have been able to hear him. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, So that really freaks Cullen out. (laughs) That's like right around when she like lights her cigarette. Lights the smoke. Yeah. With shaking hands. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and he mentions that in here, as in in Westworld, we were gods and the money men are merely our guests. And she asks about how that works out for Arnold. And he says, well, he went mad. Um, but Ford did not. And now he sees things very clearly. And then we get that great realization where Cullen, you know, sees that she's exactly um, where she was when she was a little girl. And Ford says, well, we know everything about our guests, just as we know everything about our employees. And you know, take care with Bernard, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, like, and this is where I think that he definitely knows what Bernard is doing with Dolores, too, because this is a guy who has his eyes on everything. Right. Um, I think that you're probably maybe, right. I don't know why yeah. he would not. I mean, we did suspect that when Ford was talking to Bernard about not... Um, Yes, with your kid, yeah. Yeah, like, um, don't forget that they're not not human and whatever. So we did suspect already that he knew about those meetings. Um, But you're right, I think that this uh, is just another piece of evidence for that. So I think it's very likely why he hasn't taken any steps to stop it or um, I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't done anything about it. Maybe he just doesn't care. Or maybe or Bernard is doing exactly what he wants him to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows? I know. But like with the maze and everything, man. Um, so, oh, and then I guess the only other thing which we did talk about earlier was that he says, she says the board will agree with her and she kind of plays that as her power card. And he says, and that they're going to send a representative and he says they're already here. And he's surprised they didn't tell her. Um, so I guess if that's the case, then maybe there is issues between the board and Cullen. And he says, I'm seen. surprised they didn't tell you, but he is not surprised yeah. that they didn't tell her. Yeah. He says it in a very knowing way that, um, yeah. he, he, he's far more in the loop than her and he has more influence than her and he is making that known. 
Agreed. And that was her, like, final power play. And now it's just completely taken out from under her as well. Right. Probably not good for her in general. No. Um, So the other thing that I wrote down that I wanted to get your thoughts on in this scene are that when when Colin is leaving, Ford says, I'll finish my storyline on time and it won't be a retrospective as the board might have feared. What do you think he meant by that? I mean, to me, that kind of built off of what she mentions at the start. So I I think I see where you're going and maybe I just didn't read enough into it. But I was seeing it more as, oh, this old man is looking for his last hurrah and he's going to build some sort of tribute to great days gone by and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he's just saying, no, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with my legacy or my, you know, past. It's it's actually the complete opposite of that. Are you thinking it's something? Well, I was wondering if it was like, is he, um, you know, is he building a hopeful storyline like the ones that he had done? Used to do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's related to if it's a hopeful storyline. First of all, it's incredibly, incredibly dark. I know uh, as we have seen, but but, but I just uh, yeah, I feel like there has yeah. to be some kind of purpose to Wyatt that yeah is more than just one of the baddies that um what's his face British douche yeah Sizemore uh, that he would have put in, in in his storylines. Yes. Well, there's certainly like he's like the who they could be. I, I'm you're right. I think there's definitely a redemptive quality or an aspirational quality, even if it's just as dark while you're going through it or something mm-hmm. or at least partway through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's really. And the... then the bulldozer comes to bulldoze the whole restaurant. <laughs> he's like, I'm not sentimental as he takes out. A huge piece of his creation. That's right. And then, like, the waiter comes over to, you know, try to take their order yeah. or something. He's like, no, no, that won't be necessary. No, we're done. Uh, we're going to bulldoze this shit in about 10 minutes. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, don't worry about the spilled wine. That's yeah. right. So Dolores, uh, she is told by William to stay behind while he goes into a farmhouse where they found the fugitive that they've been hunting. They've taken a family hostage and he and his fellow outlaws are in the the farmhouse so he's gonna go in and he tells Dolores to wait outside and he says you know I know you won't understand this but I can't get hurt in there and you can um so they go in they are guns blazing they shoot up all the outlaws all except one um and only then because the friend uh ran out of bullets when he tried to shoot him in the head and so he knocks him out and then the friend swaps out his gun for the for the outlaw's gun and says oh like sweet an upgrade like i feel like that is going to come into play yeah do you think i'm reading too much into that no maybe not i never even thought of that i just assumed no i i have or maybe he maybe he just swapped it out because he ran out of bullets and that gun had bullets True, or I just, like, why would a host have a better gun than a guest, yeah. you mean? Yeah, true. I don't know. Um, so then, uh, yeah, they just knock out the last guy, and that's it for that. 
And then we have another... Um, it was really a shoot 'em up that's scene. That's it for... Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so a quick scene where uh, Lawrence and the man in black are um, riding along just the two of yeah. them. They have split ways with uh, the... Um, what's his name? Hector... Hector Gang. Um, and Wyatt... And Snake sorry? Lady. And yeah. Snake Lady. And Snake Lady. <laughs> and Lawrence is telling the man in black that going after Wyatt, just the two of them, is foolhardy. Um, so they come upon Teddy, who is not looking so, so good no. after his encounter with Wyatt. He is um, beaten and and hung up to a tree, very much like the, um, the bodies that we saw in the last episode That's when right. Teddy was hunting Wyatt and his group. So... Um, Teddy asks the man in black to put him out of his misery, but the man in black says, looks like misery's all he's got and cuts him down. Um, so that was it for Teddy in this episode, but obviously, um, the man in black will be using Teddy, I'm sure, to help him track down Wyatt. Yeah. Agreed. Um... So William and his buddy are heading back with that fugitive that we saw and the fugitive is super mouthy and he's trying to negotiate and he mentions that he works for or yeah, works for El Lazo. And at that point, the douche friend uh, shoots the sheriff guy that their deputy that they've been working with or bounty hunter, I guess, in the head uh, instead of the fugitive guy that they have. Um, And he mentions that this Elazo storyline is known as being this like incredible thing in the park and that William's kind of annoying mission that he didn't like to be on has led them to this Easter egg within the story. Yes. Uh, so that, I thought that was a really, yeah, I mean, that's incredibly, it's just so, like Easter eggs are not usually people, you know, like the game aspect of the story is a really neat plot. I device. agree. Um, yeah, and surely this will have much greater implications. It'll be interesting to see who El Lazo is, if it's anyone we already know, or if we're talking about new characters still at this point. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so Dolores says, you know, you can't let the fugitive go, so the douche friend pulls a gun on Dolores, which means William pulls the gun on the fugitive, and everybody's at a standoff. And so the friend says, come on, go black hat with me. And William points out that the guy's just been an evil prick since they got to the park, uh, which seems to be slightly outside of his normal character, I guess. <laughs> and his friend's like, dude, it's just a game. Like, I don't know. Like, what they're you're robots. About. I see both what sides is the of problem? This argument. Yeah. Yeah. And I do see both sides of this. I mean, in some senses, you're just in a role playing game and you want to be evil guy, then. Why not? But then, of course, there's a lot more to it morally than that, because we're not just talking about, like, other humans in for the ride. It's anyway. Uh, So, yeah, he says that William's just trying to impress Dolores by being good. She doesn't care. So she won't mind coming. And so Um, this was another um, moment, I thought, where the reaction that we saw from Dolores is very different than what we would have seen before she became more self-aware. Because it's true, I think, that in the same way that, you know, Teddy in episode one or two, where he was just sitting motionless outside of the saloon room where, you know, the guests were in there having orgies with you know all the hosts who worked at the saloon um 
Yeah. And and uh, they were saying that, like, he acted as a guide when they went out to do all the demented storylines outside of town and whatever. Like, I think that Teddy, he was with a guest and therefore went along with what they wanted to do. Um, it was yes. that sort of uh, confused but unconcerned that we've talked about several times, right? Right. So in this scene, I would have expected Dolores to be confused and unconcerned about uh, going evil or um, letting this guy go because it's not within her loop where she, you know, is expected to resist against the men who are attacking her parents and attacking her and whatever. But Anything that we've seen before where she has been encountering something outside of her loop, she just kind of lets it go. But now she's not. Yes. I guess the only thing I think I wonder about that is that she is the I do think they're programmed to like follow basic, you know, like morals or whatever. And that. Yeah. And that as the farmer's daughter, she has been given like a lot of them. Um, and so while Teddy is a bounty hunter and like designed to take people on adventures, I do find it true to character that Dolores says, you know, you can't just kill that fugitive guy and that she's shocked that the guy gets yeah, killed. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but I do know what you mean in the sense that like when things she's becoming overall less good at at, you know, feigning. I don't know, complete disinterest when someone references something related to her storyline, like the kid does in the first mm-hmm. episode, you know, where he's like, are you real? And she's just like, oh, whatever. I'm painting. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, and I think you're seeing that here, too, for sure. Definitely. Uh, so they are going to go. That is uh, yeah, William agrees to go dark. Yeah. Uh, so I can't say I was expecting that, but. He'll be the he'll be yeah. the, the good guy in the bad storyline. That's right. Um, so uh. back in the lab, um, there are, there are texts with the Hunger Games maze, uh, sorry map, um, and they're overlooking the um, the Hector heist slash uh, shootout, uh, which they call the floor show. Um, so yeah. I I didn't realize before they showed us this, of course, that there is some active orchestrating of um, the events uh, as they're happening. So Stubbs is um, asking some of the techs to retask some of the soldiers in the town so that the um, the heist has, you know, more of the shootout, I mean, has, has more people to shoot at because there's guests who are in with the gang now. Yeah, yes. so like Hector, Hector and his I mean, gang. even to the point sorry. where, no, no. Um, just even to the point where later on they're going to be able to make the guns um, stop working, seize yeah. up or misfire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the the gang rolls into town with a couple of extras, of course, because we have the guests who have um, joined them for the shootout. Uh, so everything aside from that, though, is pretty much what we have seen before um, until Hector yeah. enters the saloon and Maeve is waiting for him. Um, and she... Uh, holds a gun to his head and says she needs to talk to him. And, of course, it's about the hazmat suit men. 
Um, so they go upstairs to where the safe is and says that she will tell him the combination if he tells her answers about the spaceman. Um, so, uh, just like as a quick side note in the lab, the same techs who were overseeing this whole, um, the whole shootout says that there are a couple of families who've changed their itineraries and are heading back to town. But of course, like it's a bloodbath in the, you know, in the, in the town. So Stubbs orders that the guests in the gunfight be cut off, as you mentioned. So when you had um, said in a previous podcast about um, the potential to slow down the man in black when, um, when he had just taken out a whole posse. Um, so yeah, right. it looks as if you were bang on on that because they do slow down these two guests by seizing up their guns. By putting them in jail overnight too. I was like, man, that's intense. Full experience of you being know? a bad guy. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You're going to get, I was like, if I paid whatever it costs to be there, I'd be like, really? I'm in jail right now? This sucks. Right. But a lovely lady from the saloon is going to come that's right. and gonna break, break them, them out with a key in their breakfast. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, Hector, back to Hector and Maeve. Um, so Hector says that the picture is of a shade and that it's sacred native lore. Um, and a shade walks between worlds and they were sent from hell to oversee their world. And Maeve shows Hector her abdomen and says she thought she was crazy, but she was shot there and there's no wound. And then she saw a shade standing over her and then it was as if it never happened. Um, So she wants Hector to cut her in the abdomen where she was shot. And uh, Hector refuses, so she does it herself. And he digs around in there and sure enough finds a bullet Um, Because we did hear earlier in one of Maeve's flashbacks when she is, you know, under the knife getting cleaned up after she was shot at the saloon that they did a messy job of it and they didn't take the slug out. Shortcut. Exactly. Um, And then uh, during all of this, Hector tells her that the Dreamwalker said that there were some that could see them and that it's a blessing to see the masters who pull your strings. So I was thinking the Dreamwalker may be, you know, maybe like a a native spiritual advisor. So do you think this is programmed into them in the same way that dreams are? So that if they have anything like this, it's it's attributed to this lore? Um, That's a really good question. But I think no. But you think they've able to like develop this to the point where they have like these dolls and everybody knows about this and the Westworld people don't know about well, it? Well, not necessarily. Okay, you're right. But so <clears throat> we have been told that they are given the concept of dreams and nightmares in order to explain any instances where they're not fully wiped after a maintenance yeah. session. Um, so I think that that's exactly what we're kind of seeing here is that on a basis that maybe is more regular than they are even aware of that the hosts are getting snippets, even those that are not sort of awakening like Maeve and Dolores are getting snippets of these maintenance sessions and they're remembering what these men in hazmat suits or like the scientists yeah. look like, right? Um so I think that potentially there was the the programming level was the programming of dreams and nightmares. Um, but I don't think they were specifically programmed to have this as a um, 
religion or a, a lore, I think that that was an unintended, unforeseen consequence of giving them the ability to retain these snippets by thinking that they're dreams. Yes, or just the fact that, I mean, I don't think it's intentional that they retain the snippets. It's just they are not perfect and sometimes they don't fully delete it. And right. But like, yeah, so giving yeah. them yeah. the concept of of dreams to somehow explain these maintenance sessions that human error has led to them re- yeah. remembering has evolved into a religion that was never the intention of programming in the hosts in the first place. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm still torn because part of me thinks that it's a really the way that it's framed to make the shades seem, you know, positive um, or at least how the Dreamwalker frames them. It's a blessing to see the masters who pull your street. Oh, so are you thinking the Dreamwalker is Arnold? No, <gasps> that's interesting. No, I was thinking the Dreamwalker was like a member of the Native American tribe who is essentially right. their, you know, their spirit spiritual guide of the tribe but maybe it's the dreamwalker or is it bernard the dreamwalker said that there were some that could see them because every time bernard talks to dolores it's like what are you doing right now i'm in a dream (gasps) yes is that like I don't know. I feel like you're really on to something there, but I cannot formulate it into <laughs> anything. <laughs> it's like, it's actually, I, it's funny. I watched this episode and I was like, it's not a huge, um, it's more kind of a moving the plot forward, right? I mean, there's a lot of setup that happens in this and it's kind of, it's not an overly um, exposing kind of episode and then you get to this last scene and you're just like what is this like what you know um, i mean yeah yeah hector has uh some some really good information here and then yeah what is also incredibly interesting is the conclusion that mave draws which is that none of this matters so she has put yeah. the pieces together that that right. the fact that she and Hector are are more than likely going to be killed at the end of this episode with the sheriff and his men shooting through the door she she knows that it doesn't matter. Absolutely. I love that and they just like start kissing as like they're going to get completely gunned down and it's just like fuck it I'm going to be back here tomorrow right. anyway. And then I think that tomorrow Maeve maybe doesn't remember everything that happened in this scene, but will remember enough that. Yeah. And it starts to build, build and build and build. Yeah, yes. I agree. Um, I agree that she's seen a breakthrough in terms of she was doing, she was kind of stuck and that she's pushed forward by being able to realize that she remembers the bullet. Yes. Yeah. Um, so end credits. That was a hell of an ending. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now our characters are interestingly set up too, right? Um, for where they're going to be next. Yeah, so Teddy is with the man in black going after Wyatt. Mm-hmm. 
Who is looking for exactly? Dolores is and with Will- William. Yes. Uh, on their way to do dark storyline. Yeah. And then uh, mm. Maeve is, well, she is remembering the um, the lab people, and presumably will be back tomorrow with even more memories, and will build on that. Agreed. And Cullen is perhaps losing control of the organization, and there may be a board member already on site. Right. No big no deal. Big deal. Just, a, just a couple of things to start, yeah, working on. And Ford is digging a giant pit. <laughs> Leveling mountains. Right. Legit, like, literally. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Well, so, there is a lot to uh, uncover there, Kimmy. Agreed. But... Uh, some good theories there. Um, thank you again to everybody who has managed their way through this one. As always, if you are interested and willing to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listener, we would really appreciate that. It helps other people find us and kind of spread the words about our new word about our new podcast. And hopefully, if you are a Walking Dead fan, you will tune into that podcast as well, which is going to start running any day now. Yay! Uh, Excellent. Okay. And we'll see you guys next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jess. Bye, Kim. Bye.